Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. I want to welcome you to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences right around the world. Because we're new to the world of podcasts, taking time to give us a review or thumbs up or even share this episode will mean a great deal to us and allow us to reach more people with meaningful and hopefully deeply spiritual content that continually reminds us of Henry's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that we are God's beloved child. So with that said, let me take a moment to introduce my guest. Today on this podcast, I am joined by a very dear and longtime friend, Brian Stiller. Brian is the Global Ambassador of the World Evangelical Alliance. This global association represents some 600 million evangelical Protestants around the world. Prior to this, Brian was the president of Tyndale University and Seminary. Brian is the author of a dozen books, and together in our shared broadcast history, we created hundreds of hours of television programming with our weekly series, Cross Currents. Brian, welcome to Henry Now and Now and Then. Ah, thank you, Karen. Always a joy to Uh, be in conversation with you. And of course, Henry is one of our favorites, isn't he? Very much so. Brian, one of the most memorable interviews that you did for Cross Currents took place in 1995 at L'Arche Daybreak with Henry Nowen. We shared the content of that interview in three podcasts, which I know people really enjoyed. But there was one very special part of the day you spent with Henry that we have still not shared, and I think it's a great place for us to start today. You had a time with Henry in his office. Can you remember the setting and the conversation? Oh, I remember it very well. At uh, daybreak, the large north of uh, Toronto, we had walked out around the, uh, the, the, the campus of daybreak, had filming, I guess over a few days, we had filmed a lot of conversations. Great interactions with some of the uh, the the the, uh, the members of, of the daybreak, and then we went into his office, uh, where he had, of course, his favorite paintings, and uh, we sat and we talked about. Uh, I remember particularly the 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 issue of evangelicals because at that time I was director of the Canadian Evangelical Alliance, and so that came into into conversation because back then and, have, and it's accelerated over the last few years uh, many of my colleagues were so grateful to Henry and his writings and I was I was curious how Henry would respond to that uh, what sense he made of why people in the on the Protestant evangelical side, were so interested in his musings and insights uh, as a Catholic, uh, as a as a person who who talked about spirituality on a broader scale, but he was Roman Catholic nevertheless. So that's was that was a context. Well, Brian, why don't we just uh, let's share that portion of your interview with Henry now and with our audience, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what we learned from that time of sharing. Very good. My faith community is the Evangelical Protestant. Uh, church. And one of the things that I don't think we're very good at, and that's uh, contemplation, uh, understanding the mystical presence of Christ. Mm -hmm. We're doers. 
They're kind of like type A personalities. And the challenge is, is to is to allow God be God and not be so energetic that I have to, in a sense, uh, prove myself by being good or doing what he commands. Well, yeah, and, and I wish, you know, that, that um, people would understand more fully that the deepest mystical life always leads to the most creative act of life. The, the deeper you, you enter into communion with God, the more you discover where your neighbor is who waits for your response. And, and, and there's a, think, about, think about the wagon wheel with all the spokes. And evangelicals are a little bit running around the rim of the wheel going to visit everybody. And, and I said, sometimes think, why don't you go to the hub? Because if you go, in, you live in the hub, then you're connected with all the spokes anyhow. And from there on, you can. So the image there is is to say, you know, in, in, when you are enter into the heart of God, you enter into the heart of the world, and and you you are connected with people in in a, in, a, in a very intimate way. So the mystical life, like the life of of communion with God is in no way taking you away from people, is in no way getting you out of the social action, is in no way um, uh, getting you away from active involvement evangelism in the world and of evangelism, the opposite. But I think what's important is to, to trust more that, that when you are living in communion with Christ and when you're really living in the center, that, that, that from there on you, you radiate some of the truths uh, of Christ without um, always being aware of that you know and i think that uh, that um, that quite often the the the, the, the life of um, communion with christ uh, is is a healing for others even when you are not explicitly trying to to affect people's lives and, and you said that that a, that a, that a mystic uh, can't help but be a prophet that's right. Because out of your out of your your contemplation, you see the evils of the of the world, and you are called to speak against those evils in Christ's name. Yeah, if you if you enter in communion with this God, at whatever level, I mean, and the word mystic is sort of a heavy word, but it just means to live. What's a, what's a better word for mysticism, or mystical? Living in communion with with Christ, living in unity with Christ, living in in um, in. Um, in a, in a Conscious spiritual union. Yeah, in a, having Christ to be the center of your your life. I mean, it's, it's so when you, when you're there, yeah. as 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 a in a contemplative way. Yeah, you become very much aware who you are, obviously. All right. Yeah? And you and you discover that you are the world, <laughs> that, that all 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 that uh, uh, is in the world is also in your heart, you know, and that. Uh, Jealousy, anger, violence—all there. And but at the same time, that 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 in communion with Jesus, Jesus wants to heal you there, and to 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 make you discover that that you can become a source of life if you if you bring your whole being into communion with Christ. You know what I mean? And and so so in a way, your heart is in a way a microcosm of the world, and and that opens your eyes to see. To see the needs of the world, but to see him 
from the place where Christ is and not just from your place of your own anxiety or your own uh, or desire to be a social reformer yeah or yeah desire to to get everybody on your side I, I, uh, I mean, I mean uh, Jesus himself he was so concerned to live in constant communion with the Father that out of that communion he ministers. You, know? you see, I, I, we, we see so many activists, and I think I fall into the same trap. We burn out too quickly. Well, burnout means that you give, but you don't receive. That's what burnout is. Burnout is helping people giving, 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 and finally get angry that you don't get anything back. So it's running around the rim rather than living at the center yeah, of the hub. Yeah, running around or, and, and not being satisfied, not being alive. I run around a lot. I mean, I'm not at all that, that kind of quiet person, but I do receive a lot from, from being with people. And, and the Christ that I announce is also the Christ that speaks to me through the people I'm with, you know. And so whether it's core members of our community or people I'm working with or people I'm going to, in a way they, they offer me a lot and they also reveal a lot to me about, about. So the world also is the place where, where Jesus speaks to me. But, but let's say it in a very simple way. You cannot see God in the world, but God in you can see God in the world, okay? So if you have a, a sense of God living within you, it's that, the Christ within you, that allows you to see the Christ in other people. And ministry in that sense is always mutuality. Is that when I say to the people in this community, you know, um, uh, you are the Christ for me, it's only the Christ in me that allows me to say that and to see that. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the mystical life, in a way, is a life that allows me to see Christ in the world and to call it forth from others. In a way, ministry is not to make you move to a new place, but first of all, to make you recognize that the Christ you're looking for is already in you. It already touched you. That you, you are part of Christ's love before you even know it, you see. And, and in a way, ministry is, is to call for the Christ in other people so that they recognize that they carry something in themselves that is worthwhile. Mm. You, you don't even know that you have a gift to give before there is somebody to receive the gift. So as a minister, or as a, I'm first of all, have to be willing to receive the gift of others so that they recognize they have a gift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but what is the gift? The gift is Christ himself. It's like, you know, when I say no, meeting you, something in you gives me life. Something in you gives me hope. When you believe that something in you gives me really hope, you start claiming it for yourself. You know what I mean? You start saying, oh, then I must have had something because Henry um, is, feels better since having met me. Mm -hmm. So the best gift in a way I can give you is the knowledge that you give life to me because that's what you want. And if I'm only concerned to give life to you and help you and shape you up and make you different, then finally I end up putting you down instead of in your life. My task is to let you know that you are the living Christ. Mm -hmm. and, but I can only let you know when I receive that from you and I get nurtured by it. See, and that's how burnout doesn't take place. I mean, when I, when I miss you and I come back and say, well, Brian has given me more hope and you feel that in yourself, then I'm nurtured, but you, you know more the Christ within you. You see what I mean? What lessons did you learn from Henry, especially from this um, interesting uh, metaphor, the wheel. Well, that's an, it's, a, it's a fascinating metaphor. I've never heard it used before. And when Henry described this wheel, it made perfect sense. 
and uh, as you as we've listened, uh, what he is saying is, yes, you evangelicals, you're you're you have high energy, you're doers, you want to get out in the community, you want to evangelize, you want to care for people, but you're out on where the spoke meets the circumference of the wheel, and the difficulty is that if you aren't at the hub of the wheel, which is Christ, you aren't being nurtured by him, but you are out on the edge of the wheel speaking and working for him. But if you don't have that connection, which, which is the wellspring of life, then at some point in time, you burn out and you become such an activist that you lose the source of your energy. And I felt that this metaphor was so appropriate because it's true. Uh, our history, uh, the word evangelical comes from the word evangel to tell the good news. And by our very nature and our theology, we are activists. But the downside to that is Henry was so helpful in pointing out is that at the very heart of our lives, we lose the, the deepness of our friendship with Christ. And that is why so many evangelicals have gravitated to his writings. Uh, I get it all over the world. People are so grateful, especially when they know that I have some connection with Henry and they've listened to or they've watched one of our videos some years ago. They are so grateful that this very elementary aspect of our life in Christ is something we too often miss. And Henry has been a godsend to us in helping to re remind us of that. It's interesting uh, that you say that because I think I have met so many evangelicals who are so drawn to Henry because he's so Christocentric. Christ is in the very middle. Jesus is in the very middle. He doesn't hesitate to talk about Jesus. That That's central to Henry now. And Brian, in your role as global ambassador for the World Evangelical Alliance, I think you have your finger on the pulse of the church today, and I'd love to talk with you about this. Help me understand what you're seeing in the American evangelical scene. Well, certainly the last uh, few years, the, the religious scene in, in the U.S. has been at, at, at best turbulent. And at the center of that has been the evangelical community, which at one point made up probably 30% of uh, the American people. But when you look at what's been going on the last few years, I think it's, it's good to, to step back a bit and see how this, this evolved, uh, both historically uh, in its original, in an American's formation, in the, in the rise of evangelicals in the 20th century, uh, and then this growing liberal conservative debate, and then eventually ending up over the last few years in an intense binary political standoff. So maybe that, if, if we just took that as a framing of it, Karen, it, it, it might lead us to uh, uh, some, uh, some better observations. So let me, let's go back. And I'm a Canadian, but I, I have studied much Canadian American history. And I'm fascinated by the development of this North American continent. But the American people are different than Canadians. The Americans have started with a, with a, a, a vision of God, 
using America as a way to to bless the world. They use the word manifest destiny. And that's a very helpful word because at the very heart of their republic was a sense, at least in my reading, there was a sense that God was manifesting himself through their destiny. And that being a, 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 a city set on a hill uh, that would illuminate others, this biblical vision of, of, of God at work in society would be something that would characterize the American people. And so the American people have always been very religious and very Christian, and uh, passionately so. And so I think in the, in the building of the culture, you have this as a, as a, as a very uh, baseline uh, to, to their politics and to their social life. But then in the last century, you had a rise of evangelicals uh, in the, the you, you have the dynamic within the Protestant world, at least. You have the your mainline churches, your Methodist and Presbyterian, and you could put Episcopal or we call them Anglican in there. There, there was a, a, a liberal Protestant debate out of higher criticism that, that divided the Protestant world between the mainline Protestants, which tended to espouse a more liberal theology, at least, under, at least, at least the conservative side uh, saw it that way. And on the other side, this evangelical community, and you had a, uh, a rise of their numbers. Um, you have church, churches growing, uh, evangelistic activities through a whole number of student movements, for example. And so when you look at the post the post-1960, when you have the, the more radical movement coming into the youth, you have a Jesus movement, and it, it produces all kinds of activity and a very strong evangelical community. But generally, that community was, was um, how can I say, well, it's all, almost as if it was separated from the world. The activity was to evangelize, was to make disciples of people uh, for now and for eternity. And so other issues like politics and civic society, uh, that was left to the, your main line and your Catholic. And so the evangelicals didn't have much engagement in that. But then you have this third movement in the 60s and 70s. And I suppose people like Jerry Falwell and James Dobson, uh, they would be at at the forefront, whereas in the earlier part, Billy Graham was was the was kind of the godfather of the evangelical movement, and he was a kind, gracious uh, person that that got along with people. But and he was he was the one that that was at the at the head of this broader evangelical movement, not only in the U.S. and of course it became worldwide. But then you have this reaction. In the 70s and 80s, with the, the moral majority under Jerry Falwell, James Dobson and his, his radio shows, and from the debates over abortion and sexuality uh, came a growing division between your liberals and conservatives. And that, I think, was the, was the formation of what we have today, which is now what I would call a binary cleavage. You have the you, it's defined by by your by your Republican and your Democratic parties, 
uh, and where people are, uh, they're, they're almost like they're born into a Republican Party or born into the Democratic family. Uh, and you have this, this division, and this division is reinforced by issues of, of race, of sexuality, of, of, of uh, rich and poor and, and, and ha- uh, wealth. Uh, of course, abortion is the very, at the very core of that growing division. And so, to di- so you have Trump comes along and he fires up those who feel they have been alienated by the elite liberal left. And you have through that by media, uh, media communication, uh, social media, you have a reinforcement of ideological left and right. And with, with, for me as, a, as an evangelical outside of the country, I find it most unfortunate that many evangelicals got caught on the political right and linked that with their religious commitment, and they became one and the same. And that exploded over the last few years. And so you have that as a definer uh, of current uh, religious life in America. Oh, I find that so helpful to hear hear that kind of laid out. Um, most of our audience, by the way, is American, and, and they may disagree or agree, or I hope they'll find it helpful as well. I really do, Brian. Um, looking at that, what happened with the, the issues of social justice for that divided evangelical community? That Have they missed the boat on that? Where, where do you see that happening? Well, of course, it's not monolithic. Uh, if you look at the evangelical community, it's not it's not it's not just one mass, and you have deep within the evangelical move, movement, uh, characterized by uh, by various movements, uh, by uh, universities and seminaries, you've got a very strong central um, uh, kind of theological commitment uh, to the whole gospel, which includes social justice, and so you have many, many of our leaders, but they had to keep their heads down because the, the, the public rhetoric has been so destructive that you have, for example, I know pastors of large churches, and they had to be very careful not to exacerbate within their congregation this political divide by, by, by trying to explain or trying to move, move the debate around. They've, they had to leave the, the large public debate alone and w- wisely just stick with, with biblical teachings. And even then, biblical teachings will, will e- create a, a storm. A, a, a pastor, he's a, a, a Latino, pastor of a large church in the, uh, in the Middle South. He was explaining on the refugee issues uh, how he was just preaching on refugees and how, what, what the Old Testament says about refugees. Uh, about those that are in need. And he had a whole number of people, both uh, African-American and uh, uh, Latinos, leave the church because they thought he was politicizing the issue uh, and that he was simply trying to explain that as a country, you need to care about the refugees. That's what was a biblical mandate. And so it's, 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 a, it, it's a very mixed bag. And I think we're going to take, it's going to take a while for this to sort itself out, for the for the political uh, zeal to cool down, and for people to recognize, and of course, then you have the, the COVID thing that only exacerbates the social media 
and creates stereotypes and uh, provides uh, bulks of, in, of disinformation that fuels people's uh, uh, feelings towards people, uh, towards others and political parties. So I think it's going to take a while for it to, it to settle down. But within, within our community, there are some very wise minds and writers and speakers and movements. And I think this will find a balance uh, as we, uh, as we work, work our way into the future. Well, I certainly know that our audience is an audience that's interested and will be really praying for healing because it sounds like more than a healing from COVID, we need a healing from the ways in which we're so profoundly divided. The strain and stress and suffering is so severe in many places, in families and churches and communities, that I think that Henry's message of Jesus being the very essence of our life is the message that is best needed or is most needed and the message that can be best applied to the current situation. And my prayer is that there will be a revival, a renewing of our, of our theology and our devotional life uh, so embedded in the words and the mandate of Jesus that the political ideological rhetoric will find a new kind of conversation in the in the words of Jesus. That's my prayer. Oh, I, I love that. I really do. You know something I recall, I was going to say, I recall that Henry really enjoyed his conversation with you. I think he was sort of dreading us. He wasn't into television at the time. But then the conversation was deep, and you had taken time to read his books and and understand who he was and the conversation between the two of you was deep and it was really a treasured time interestingly enough for those who are listening right now if you're interested in seeing the original documentary that brian and i made we have it free for you on our right on our website it's called journey of the heart the life of henry Nowen, and um the conversation covered so many things but at the core you're right at the core was was this relationship with Jesus, which was the center line. the I always call it the plumb line in Henry Nouwen. The plumb line of his being was that relationship with Jesus. I'd like to ask you another thing, Brian. I'd love to get a picture of evangelicals on the global front. Since you travel all around the world, and this idea that there's 600 million evangelical Christians around the world, tell me a little bit about that community, about the challenges they have, and maybe a little bit of their perspective on us. Okay, the evangelical world, it really comes out of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so Martin Luther, uh, he didn't call those that followed his teachings uh, Protestants. That's what, that's what the, the accusers called us, Protestants. He called them evangelicals, which means simply those who espouse the good news, uh, the evangel. Uh, as a as a growing movement, it became much more obvious following Wilbur, William Wilberforce in the mid 1800s in England, uh, out of the slavery issue, uh, concerns over child labor, and uh, persecution of Christians, especially in Eastern Europe. And so, Evan, the, people began gathering together in the U.S., uh, U.K., Germany, uh, Canada, uh, around this evangelical theme and in 1846 then this world evangelical alliance was formed 
which became the, the Global Association. Uh, over the last number of years, however, beginning in the 20th century, this community has grown rapidly. Let me just give you some stats to give you a, a sense of it. In 1960, there were 90 million evangelicals. So that's, that's 60 years ago. There, was, there were 90 million evangelicals in 1960. Today, there's 600, 650 million globally. And that has been, as, as has been noted, it's the fastest growing religious community of any kind in the history of the world. For example, in Latin America, in 1900, there were 50,000. Uh, today, there's 100 million in Latin America. And it's, it's um, I think, the result of, of, of three primary dynamics. One is the breaking out of a what's called the Pentecostal movement of the 20th century. It became the charismatic movement, uh, became part of uh, many, many Protestant communities and Orthodox and Catholic as well. And this new understanding of the spirit, how the spirit leads and teaches and empowers. But there was also the, the translation of the Bible in the mid uh, 20th century that, that exploded into, all, into many languages. And then you have the indigenization of leadership around the world, where uh, in the post-colonial era, uh, the leaders, the pastors were indigenous. They were tribal. They were local. They were of the color and language and culture of the people. And so those three factors seem to make a, bring about a perfect storm. And as a result, our community uh, exploded to where it is today. And that's primarily in the global South. So those of us living in Europe and North America, uh, the, the, grow, the assumption, of course, is that faith is on the demise and uh, this, this will soon be over, at least what we're experiencing. Uh, but in the global south, the opposite is the truth. I was, uh, I was in, uh, I was in Kiev this last uh, last Sunday. I said we could go Sunday, and I walked into this church filled with young people, uh, mid thirties, just alive. And it was it was the day that it was announced that the uh, their neighbor was was lining up a hundred thousand soldiers on their border with the possibility of an invasion invasion and outside in the in the, on the campus of this church they were building a 4500 seat auditorium it's so so growth is taking place in many places and uh, it's uh, in in many ways not surprising because of the needs that exist and people's hunger for spiritual reality isn't that exciting isn't that amazing i mean we all have this uh, concern for what's happening in ukraine and uh, wonderful to know that in the midst of it, faith is alive and growing. And that, that is pretty exciting. Are there any other things you'd like to share? I'm curious about how evangelicals get along with the mainline and the Catholic Church. Tell us a little bit about the relationships that exist, because you would be kind of at the level I, I'm sure you, you've met with the Pope many times. Tell me a bit about that. Well, historically, I, I was raised uh, my father was a Pentecostal minister out in Western Canada, and, and we all had our stereotypes, uh, the Catholics of us and we of them. Uh, but what we have found over the last few years is how important it is for us to understand each other. And so as a, uh, I'm part of the World Evangelical Alliance, which is, represents a quarter of the 2.4 billion Christians, 
And so when there's an issue globally, uh, the Vatican and, and us and the World Council, uh, we get together on it. We respect each other's responsibilities and the communities we serve. And we know that in Christ, we have a responsibility and we have we have instruments at hand that can help on particular issues. So I think generally there is a uh, a better understanding. There's less of a defensiveness. Now, in some countries, I think you know, thinking of uh, especially Italy and Spain, where evangelicals are a small minority and they have lived under a Catholic social political system that has sought to to uh, to push them out of uh, of, of of operation uh, that that happens. It happens whenever you have a religion that's the majority. The the minority religion generally suffers under the social control of the majority religion. So evangelicals have done it the same in some countries. But I think generally we find that there is a an openness. For example, in uh, in in Ukraine, uh, where you have very conservative evangelicals theologically. 25 years ago, they, along with the Orthodox, Catholic, Muslim, and Jews, put together a national council. And that national council represents all the major religious issues to government and to society. It's the only one I've ever seen in the world, and it's quite remarkable to see it there in that country. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a model of... of uh, of how we can work together, and indeed, we are finding ways of working together. Oh, that's, that is lovely to hear about. Brian, before we close, I'd just love to go back to Henry. I'd like to go back and hear, in a sense, in your life, what have you carried forward from that relationship? You became friends, and I know that you have shared what he has how he's enriched your life. But I'd love to hear again for our audience, what would you want people to remember about Henry now and and understand? Well, Henry, uh, of course, uh, epitomized uh, relationship. Now, many people who haven't met Henry, they just think he was a nice, gentle, laid-back individual. Let me tell you, he was intense. He sat forward on his seat and he would chatter like a chipmunk. He would go at issues and he would disagree with you. But at the heart of it was relationship, both with you as a talking con- as a con- in your conversation and as a friend and drawing you into that relationship with Jesus so that the essence of your faith was that knitted by your love for Christ and his love for you, even as Henry showed his love for me as a conversationalist, as a friend. And he was so, he was so uh, ready to absorb my love for him. So as I look at, at as I think about Henry and, and our times together and what I've learned from him, the first is the elementary nature of a relationship. I think as a uh, evangelical Protestant, I got caught up in, in doctrine and, uh, and specific faiths. They, they matter. But at the end of the day, my walk with Jesus 
is exactly that, my walk with him. And Henry helped me understand to, to lay aside so many preconditions and, and, and uh, earlier observations and find my walk with Jesus today in the simplicity of relationship. Now, relationships, of course, can be complex, but to understand Jesus in relationship and not in doctrine. And that is transformative because when I am immersed in my doctrine about Jesus, then you in your doctrine about Jesus may be different than mine and we clash. But if we meet in the personal walk with Jesus together, then you and I in being drawn to him are drawn together. And that in community, that in public ministry, is 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 altering of, uh, it's transforming how I thought I should serve, in ways now I know Jesus is calling me to serve and to observe that with Henry, to be simple, to keep it in relationship, to love him, to be loved by him, and of course his great message of being the beloved of Christ. And that all fitted together with, with his, his simplicity in relationship, uh, understanding that I'm the beloved of Christ. And of course, all of his writings eventually drew us back to that central hub of being in Christ and loving Jesus and being loved by him. And uh, I just wish that years earlier, I had learned that and found that to be operative in my life um, ministry and faith has been too clunk too complex for me at times and henry re- didn't he didn't he didn't reduce it to simplicity but he he brought me to the elements of faith and the experience of walking with jesus and being loved by him and i'll always be grateful to henry for doing that and of course as you read his books he he has a way in his He's brilliant, he's intellectual, but he, he takes us to in, into language that exposes the idea. He doesn't use language to impress you. He uses language to explain. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a C.S. Lewis on spirituality, and uh, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great gift to us all. Oh, Brian, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I I thank you. I thank you for giving us that unique perspective on the state of the Christian church and in particular, the evangelical church today. But I also thank you so much for the honesty with which you shared about what Henry brought into your life. And it's very much the same for me. I I, I think you really got the essence of Henry now and, and what a blessing that is. Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. Blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I have enjoyed the opportunity to talk with my dear friend, Brian Stiller. Brian has given us his unique perspective on the state of the Christian church today. He brings an understanding of the evangelical community, not just in North America, but around the world. I hope you found it valuable as well. Thank you for listening. If you did enjoy this podcast, again, we'd be so grateful if you take time to give it a stellar review or a thumbs up, or even share it with your friends and family. As well, you'll find links in the show notes for our website. You'll find a link to the documentary, Journey of the Heart, The Life of Henry Nouwen. And in that film, you'll see Brian Stiller interviewing Henry Nouwen. Thank you again for listening.
Until next time.